Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I've said all along that I don't really have any interest in getting any credit for the hashtag JD to NYC. This is not something that we've done to draw attention to Dog Nation Daily. This is something that we've done to draw attention to Jordan Davis. So I still feel the same way that I have before. As all of this continues to grow and play out, this is not one of those things where, you know, I want to be part of the story here. I want Davis himself to be part of the story. But admittedly, because I do believe in the cause so much, if you will. I, I do think that Davis deserves this attention as a representative for all that has gone on with Georgia this year, especially on the defensive side of the ball. It is pretty remarkable how all this has played out. And, you know, this is going to sound immodest and self serving. I apologize. But when we first started pushing the hashtag JD to NYC, we want Jordan Davis to New York City as a Heisman finalist. We want him a part of that discussion. I remember the mockery we got for doing the RBA. That's the silliest thing I've ever heard. RBA, that's got no chance of ever happening. RBA, this, RBA, that. And we were undaunted. We pushed ahead with it and we watched the snowball slowly start to roll to the point that a couple of weeks ago, Davis finally showed up on BetUS as a Heisman candidate that you could actually bet on to win the Heisman Trophy. And some of you were like, well, yeah, B, but he's like 100-something to one. He's down there with guys that we know are going to win the Heisman Trophy. And what I said at the time was, listen, this is a process. It's got to play out slowly over the course of time here, and you just got to give it time to progress. Then he went from like 100 to one to like, uh, 80 to 1 and the snowball kind of rolls here and on and on you've seen the Paul Feinbaums and the Kirk Herbstreets and the Reese Davises and all the big voices around college football they've all kind of had their their side on this the CBS guys have kind of gotten involved a little bit in this too there was obviously the great uh, you know pre-game video piece there before the Florida game a couple of weeks ago some of the riders on the CBS side have kind of gotten in on this and all of a sudden that snowball kind of keeps rolling here just a little bit and in fact speaking of a completely different network beyond espn and uh, cbs i thought this was really interesting and a lot of you have sent this to me we even had some fun with this yesterday related to some of the golden shoe stuff that fox sports the other day kind of put out their tweet of heisman contenders and we've gone now from not 100 different guys not 80 different guys there are six faces on this graphic if you're watching on video you see it fox college football says with 10 weeks in the books who's your current heisman front runner and you see, you know, uh, running back to Michigan State, uh, obviously quarterbacks from Ohio State, Oklahoma, Alabama, Ole Miss. And then right there, top left corner, Jordan Davis, big number 99, now just one of six faces who's getting Heisman Trophy love and Heisman Trophy chatter from a big brand like Fox. Fox actually produces the most watched game in the noon window each and every week. You think of ESPN kind of owning and controlling college football, but the fact is, there are millions of people who think of Fox first when they think of college football, and this big brand that is Fox is touting Jordan Davis for the Heisman Trophy among the other well-known quarterbacks and one running back. I got to tell you, to the extent this has grown in stature over the course of time, I find that to really be pretty cool. And it was also cool yesterday in Athens when the when the media stuff was going on, uh, Kirby Smart, Georgia players, to continue to see Davis get the kind of chatter that he's getting. And here's where I'll be very honest for a moment, that for as much as we've seen the Davis stuff grow to the point where, okay, he's gone from being like one of 100 guys in consideration, and now, you know, he's maybe at least according to Fox here, one of six guys in consideration. It is still going to take a lot more than this to get him over the top. If this is going to really happen, if he's really going to be in NYC for that ceremony coming up in December, you got to have that another moment where where everyone's reminded of just how significant of a role Davis has played for Georgia this year, which is one of the things that also came up yesterday. The fact that he and Jalen Carter have kind of come onto the field in goal line situations for Georgia. They provide that big extra beef. You can run behind him. You can score touchdowns. Certainly Zamir White did that this past Saturday. That's always a fun thing to see. But how about the idea of using him more than just a blocker? How about doing like what Jalen Carter did a year ago, getting a chance to catch a touchdown? Ironically, that happened against Tennessee, the opponent that Georgia is going to play on Saturday. 
But if you're wanting Davis to take that next step in this Heisman conversation, giving him what we've commonly thought of as the Heisman moment, a, a chance to, you know, have the kick return for a touchdown or have the, you know, a lot of times with quarterbacks, you kind of throw the ball back to them. I remember when Gino Toretta was quarterback at Miami, this is going back years ago, they had a play designed where he was going to catch the football. This is like way pre-Philly special. It was kind of unusual for quarterbacks to catch the football back then, but they were going to design this play and Toretta's going to get a chance to catch it the name of the play they ran was called Heisman the understanding being that you got to give a unique highlight to a guy that you want to see get over the hump in a Heisman conversation the concept of the Heisman moment has existed for a long time and so maybe Davis on offense getting a chance to catch a football or get a carry almost like what William the refrigerator Perry would have done back in Super Bowl 20 in 1985 all these things kind of come to mind here for Davis getting a chance to do that and that's why I thought it was really cool yesterday Georgia tight end John Fitzpatrick was talking about the big goal line situations where Carter and Davis comes in the way the fans noticed that but also the way that admittedly you know a guy like Davis who's been a selfless team first player would obviously love to get the football he'd love to get that touch on offense because football players always want to touch the football that's just a commonality that exists throughout all the annals of the sport Friday Saturdays and Sundays so this is really good now the audio quality probably is not perfect on this but hopefully you can still make it out John Fitzpatrick on the role that Jordan Davis potentially plays on the offensive side for UGA good stuff from Fitz here Like I said, there's a little bit of background noise there that may have been hard to hear all the way around, but hopefully you could pick that out. John Fitzpatrick saying, yes, the players certainly noticed the reaction from the crowd when the big guys come running in on offense, Jordan Davis included. And you hear Fitzpatrick acknowledge at the end of that clip that, yeah, Davis is asked, hey, when's my touch going to come? When am I going to get a chance to touch the football? And listen, I think that's all in good fun. I think it's great that Davis wants his chance to do that. Who wouldn't want to touch the football if you've got a chance to do just that? And it kind of speaks to, I think, the way in which Davis symbolizes the way in which this team has worked all season long but also the fun they seem to have about playing together with each other this is a team that I mean you always run the risk of maybe misinterpreting things when you're on the outside looking in on a program but the best I can tell this seems to be a team that's really clicking from a chemistry standpoint this seems to be a team that's really aware of what its goals are and aware of the fact that everyone moving in the same direction is probably the best way that you get a chance to to accomplish those goals before the season's done davis just stands as such a strong avatar for all of that and once again yesterday and this is by my count maybe the third time i believe that smart's been asked about this so it's it's a hot topic in media right now uh smart was asked again yesterday of given what the stated criteria is for winning a Heisman trophy does that mean that someone like Jordan Davis really truly should even this late in the season you know this moving from being kind of a fun thing we did to honor a guy who's playing well to now being the kind of real thing that could actually happen once again you're going to notice this we've said this before when smart's been asked this question the dog that doesn't bark here the thing that kirby smart doesn't say is oh we're not worried about heisman trophies oh we're not we're not worried about that jordan davis is is not the least bit concerned with the heisman trophy or we on on behalf of him are not the least bit concerned with that kirby smart sidesteps the 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 chance to go full-on campaign mode here and tout davis for the heisman but he doesn't certainly apologize for anybody maybe like ourselves around here who want to tout davis for this award and and kirby smart once again uh, yesterday during his press conference leading the game against tennessee once again argued very effectively for exactly why jd has been so valuable for uga here this season so this is kirby once again being asked about the possibility that jordan davis win the heisman trophy i liked kirby's answer take a listen I love Jordan. What he's done for our defense is incredible. I don't think you can measure in the statistics what he's done for our our defense. But I'm no uh, analyst to be deciding who gets to go for the Heisman and who's up for it. I think that's you know the media and the talking heads and and everybody that gets to be a part of that. They've kind of controlled the narrative there. For me, it's 
know, about our team and our team playing well. And, uh, and Jordan's been a tremendous, tremendous uh, part of that. And he's been, a, he's been a bigger bonus to our defense from a confidence standpoint and a run-stopping standpoint than probably uh, any other measurable stat that we have there defensively. So when you hear Kirby Smart say there's a value that Davis brings to this table from what we're able to do against the run that's not truly measured by the stat sheet, and obviously there is a degree to which stats do tell that story of what happens when Davis isn't on the field compared to when he is, and that certainly goes part of the way of telling the story, but as Smart kind of alludes to, there is an intangible quality here that just simply can't be measured, and I think that's true, and I think it's really fun to see where this is right now. As I said before, as someone who's really pushed to get this over the hump, admittedly, you need a little bit more help here. You need that Heisman moment, that cool highlight that helps tell the story that words and data can only do so far and, and so much to explain. The, the big moment could certainly help that case. And by the way, against Tennessee on Saturday, 3.30 on CBS, that's a relatively high-profile spot there, and it is a chance for, uh, for Georgia to maybe get that moment for davis that'd be a fun thing to be able to see now with that said let me shift gears completely here and let me let me um do a different topic and this kind of revisits something we talked about a little bit late last week but i still have this on my mind and i want to go back in time here let's go back to march and let's look at alabama coach nick saban for a moment now what you're about to hear from saban is the kind of thing that saban has said over and over and over again tv interviews you know, ESPN profiles so many times Saban has just been so proud of himself for how willing to change in the winter of his career he's turned out to be that he was obviously set in his ways and kind of cut from a certain kind of cloth and wanted football played a certain way. But boy, whether it was Lane Kiffin's metamorphosis that was beginning in 2014 or whatever else that that Nick Saban just came to see the light and came to value the current modern age of football that we're in right now where you're throwing every down and you're trying to score 100 points and all of a sudden defense and running the ball doesn't matter quite as much as it once did and boy it's a entirely entirely opposite perspective than you would have once expect Nick Saban to have but Saban was just so proud of how much he's changed. And let's go back to March and hear Saban patting himself on the back for his ability to learn some new tricks at kind of an old age. This is Alabama coach Nick Saban. The game is different now. People score fast. I grew up with the idea that you play good defense, you run the ball, you control vertical field position on special teams, and you're going to win. Whoever rushes the ball the most for the most yards is going to win the game. You're not going to win anything now doing that because, A, the way the spread is, the way the rules are to run RPOs, the way the rules are that you can block downfield and throw the ball behind the last scrimmage. I mean, those rules have changed college football. And no huddle fastball has changed college football. So I changed my philosophy about five or six years ago. And well, it was more than that. When Lane came here, we said we got to outscore him. So that's Nick Saban, just so proud of himself. Oh, he let Lane Kiffin change everything but the Alabama program, and they've been better for it all these years. And obviously last year stands as potentially evidence of that. Alabama won the national championship, averaging about 50 points per game. But let's think about something here for a moment, and you're kidding yourself if you don't think that Nick Saban has also been thinking about this a lot as of late. Let's look at the last three years of college football. These three years would seem to be evidence to support everything that Nick Saban was just discussing. Because for as much no-huddle fastball as Alabama put on display a year ago, LSU, the national champion the year before that in 2019, they did just as much of that, if not more. Even Clemson, who won the national championship in 2018, not quite as explosive as LSU would be the following year and Alabama would be the year after that, but they're still scoring 40-something points per game and obviously using a high-powered offense to beat Alabama in that season's national championship game. That The last three years of this sport would seem to stand as evidence to support the argument for change that Nick Saban just made. But let's also revisit this for a second. What has happened to those programs since then? Let's start with Clemson. Clemson won the national championship in 2018, scoring 40-something points per game. We're a major contender to win that national championship the following two years after that. But where are they right now? Nowhere to be found. They're not a championship contender. They're barely even an ACC title contender. That 
when you have the great quarterback, when you have Trevor Lawrence, a guy like that, or Deshaun Watson before him, when you've got quarterbacks like that, yeah, you can fly up and down the field scoring you know, 40-something points per game. But once that guy leaves, and great quarterbacks always do, once that guy leaves, all of a sudden it becomes much more difficult to re- replicate the success that you once enjoyed. And if that's true for Clemson, isn't that even more true for LSU? That LSU was in 2019 probably the most explosive offense i had ever seen and i'm still going to rank lsu in 2019 over alabama a year ago because lsu had to do it in hostile road environments something that did not happen during the pandemic year but the success that lsu enjoyed in 2019 was for the most part self-contained it literally existed in a fishbowl and there's almost nothing in the current state of lsu to remind you of of, of what happened for this program there in 2019 that you can have the great success and you can bring in the sharp offensive mind to create that. That's what Joe Brady did as passing game coordinator for the Tigers in 2019. But when you outsource that and you depend so much on your success on some super sharp, brilliant offensive mind, the fact of the matter is you're at the mercy of that guy leaving. And those guys will always leave. They will always go somewhere else. They are hot commodities. They are here today. They are gone tomorrow. Joe Brady's with the Carolina Panthers now, he had no intention of sticking around LSU one minute longer than he had to before he got more money, bigger job, a chance to maybe one day be an NFL head coach, and that's just kind of the way that it goes. Same thing for Alabama a year ago. Okay, you've got this great offense. You're making more out of guys like Mac Jones and Devontae Smith than anybody ever thought was possible, but the guy who was responsible for all that success, Steve Sarkeesian, you can't keep him. He's going to go be head, he's going to be go and become Texas head coach. And you'll say, well, we'll just replace him. We'll replace him with Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien was the head coach of the Houston Texans. How's that working out right now? In comparison to Alabama's previous offensive success, can anybody say that Bill O'Brien belongs in the same sentence at all with uh, what Steve Sarkeesian once did for that program? So here's what I'm starting to wonder. And as I said before, don't think that Nick Saban hasn't been thinking about this. That Saban's idea of, oh man, the sport's changing. You got to change with the times. You got to be the explosive offense. You got to be able to do that. Well, for some teams, they've been able to achieve success by making these radical changes. But in the case of LSU, currently Clemson, maybe even Alabama, although we're still in the midst of trying to find all that out, that the big, wild changes that led to immediate, aggressive success somehow that ended up being fairly short-lived and that ended up being the kind of thing that was not sustainable over the long haul and for kirby smart who admittedly is kind of an outlier among minds of the top head coaches who are trying to win a national championship smart has been the guy most content to pursue his championship in a way that runs counter to what most of the rest of college football is doing even teams who've fallen short in recent years like oklahoma and ohio state they are clearly with the idea of the offensive revolution something that kirby smart has only been slow to embrace but when you look at the state of the sport right now not just georgia's success but other would-be title contenders you know, uh, Oregon still a part of that conversation. They are clearly not one of these teams trying to score 100 points per game. Michigan State just lost on Saturday, but they're still going to be ranked, you know, among the top contenders tonight. Once again, a team quite content to be something less than 100 miles an hour, 100 points per game. Look at the SEC right now. For all of the chatter that teams like Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss have gotten and, you know, Dan Mullen, Florida once got, look at who's truly having some success right now. Obviously, it's Georgia doing things the way they are. Texas A&M is also one of these teams that's content to play defense, content to run the football, content to, to be more physical than finesse. I would say to the extent that Auburn's had success here under first-year coach Brian Harson, obviously a lot of what Mike Bobo is doing at this stage of his career also fits a little bit more into the A&M Georgia style than it does the Ole Miss, you know, spread them around all over the field style. That the change that Nick Saban says that he has observed in the sport and the change that Nick Saban underwent that he is so proud of, all of a sudden you wonder if the sport was really changing quite as fast as Nick Saban thought it was. Like a lot of cycles, a lot of trends, eventually they reverse themselves and they start going the other direction. So here's where I'm leading to with all of this. Let's say that Georgia really does beat Alabama in the SEC championship game come December. And let's say that it's the kind of win for Georgia that knocks Alabama out of the college football playoff conversation. Obviously, that'd be really painful for Nick Saban because losses always are. But understand this. That kind of loss in this kind of year would even be more painful 
because Nick Saban outsourced his success to other guys, to Lane Kiffin and Brian Dable and Steve Sarkeesian. Nick Saban gave responsibility for his program in large measure over to somebody else. And those offensive minds are always going to be here today, gone tomorrow. That there is less of Nick Saban's DNA in the Alabama program than ever before. He has traded all of that, sold his soul, if you will, to bring in what he thought he had to have. And then to see his former protege, Kirby Smart, building a program the way that Nick Saban would have preferred to build a program with elite recruits and playing good defense and hopefully rushing the football and things along those lines. The kind of team that Kirby Smart has put together. If this is the kind of team that sends Alabama home come December, you better believe that'll be extra painful for Nick Saban because not only will he have to deal with himself as once again something less than a champion. He'll also have to realize that all of the change that he thought he saw in college football, maybe things hadn't changed quite as much as he thought they had. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, and we're glad to have you with us no matter how you get to us today. I know we had a little bit of a platform issue with DogNation.com and the Dog Nation app a little earlier. My understanding is we are now available on all those platforms once again. So if you tuned in 945 this morning for the first and 15, I know we missed you on that, but we are thankful to be able to deliver this show to you right now. And we appreciate you being with us, however you're getting to us. Some of you watch it on video, you listen on the podcast, you listen on the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref. However you get to us, just really, really appreciate it. It's a huge privilege for us to be able to narrate the experience of a special Georgia season, which you hope continues through December into January and all the way through. And obviously, we appreciate our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia for making it all possible. You know, ESOG, the one to turn to for your foundation, your waterproofing issues. One of the things I've heard from so many people throughout the fall is, man, it has been so rainy in the state of Georgia, in the Atlanta area where I live, and that's true. And when you have seen all that rain that's been coming for, you know, going back months, obviously that can bring some anxiety for a homeowner because you see that water creeping into your house in some cases. It sneaks into a crawl space, or you notice it in your garage. There are those wet spots in your basement. You're like, oh gosh, this is the sign of a, a potentially even bigger problem. And that's where my friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia can step in. Also, when you see those cracks in your wall, that can also be evidence of a foundation issue, which is another reason to keep ESOG on your mind. They're in a solutions-based company. That means they are there to really step up and solve your problem when it comes to your foundation, your waterproofing issues. The number to dial to get in touch with them could not be easy to remember. Simply dial 678-ESOG now. That's 678-ESOG now. That'll get you in touch with Engineered Solutions of Georgia. They have two full-time engineers on staff. That means they've got smart folks doing great work for you. They're proud partners of UGA, and it's always great to support those companies that support the dogs and of course they've been longtime friends of ours here on dog nation daily as well so we are really appreciative of that and i personally am very thankful for all of you that continue to support those that help us stay on the air and do this show each and every day that is a really awesome thing so give them a call 678-ESOG now that's 678-ESOG now and that'll get you in touch with engineered solutions of georgia all right we've got connor riley coming up in just a moment We'll do a Kroger Fresh Take with Connor, and that'll be a lot of fun here, diving into a lot happening around the Georgia program, both in terms of a look ahead to Tennessee and then maybe a little bit of a look ahead even beyond that. Uh, what's it really going to take to get Georgia where it wants to be come December, January, and a shot at a real championship here? We'll talk to Connor Riley more about that coming up in just a moment. Before that, though, I do want to go around the doghouse, and it's presented today by our friends at Georgia's own credit union. And then very briefly, let's spend some time talking some recruiting stuff here because big news on the horizon involving a Georgia target of note. Now, admittedly, as I said before, I've, I've admitted this in the past. I try to be classy when possible. Uh, that's not always the easiest thing for me, especially when it comes to the lousy stinking gators when I have a chance to mock them for whatever reason. That's something I'm going to do. And so while you know we try to you know, keep it classy around here and celebrate good things for UGA. When it is a good thing for UGA, that's also potentially a bad thing for Florida. Admittedly, we think that's a double win. And so it is certainly of interest to us that with all the chatter that's gone on in the last couple of weeks about what Georgia is doing from a recruiting standpoint, what Dan Mullen at Florida is not doing from a recruiting standpoint, the fact that this entire ordeal could be punctuated this week with potentially a commit to UGA from a fl former Florida commit 
well, we're obviously going to love that. Now, it's no given, no guarantee what the four-star defensive back Julian Humphrey does. But let me just show you this on uh, social media here for a moment. So Humphrey has said that he's getting ready to make his announcement. He's going to be committing Friday at his school there at noon. And uh, he hopes to see everybody there for that. You better believe there'll be a lot of attention paid, a lot of folks tuning in for what goes down there with Julian uh, Humphrey. And no question about it, this is a big potential gift for whoever gets Humphrey. Obviously, Georgia feeling pretty good about this. I'll invite you to go back and check Jeff Sintel going back to last Friday. We had him here uh, on Dog Nation Daily just discussing the fact that, yeah, Georgia has seemingly been kind of an ever-present factor in the Humphrey recruiting, even going back to the time that he was a Florida commit. So obviously a lot to pay attention to and a lot to certainly be intrigued by when it comes to Humphrey and what he's going to announce on Friday. And he's been teasing these this announcement for a while, you know, setting the stage for this, building anticipation and expectation. And so Humphrey's clearly having a good time with his recruitment right now. And Georgia fans will certainly be having a good new a good time if uh, Humphrey steps up and picks the dogs come Friday. There's also this from Humphrey on Twitter there too that once again gets some attention because Humphrey's not the only recent high profile decommit from Florida. You'll also think about the four star linebacker Shamar James and Humphrey teasing that he and Shamar James will soon be teammates. Now listen, I don't have to tell you you already know this. A lot of this kind of chatter on social media ends up being just something that's done in fun or the kind of thing that players believe for the moment but eventually it kind of fizzles the sort of package deal type stuff for the most part doesn't come to fruition as much as sometimes players think it might but when a guy like Humphrey says that it's going to get our attention because the idea that Georgia could swoop in and eventually get both of what at one point in time were Florida's top rated commits well we do think that'd be pretty fun but at the very least we know this Humphrey is close to a decision that's going to happen on Friday Georgia seems to be a big factor in all of this and we will tune in and find out exactly what he has to say there at that time it's around the doghouse it's presented today by our friends at Georgia's own credit union and of course we appreciate Georgia's own credit union bringing around the doghouse to you each and every day Uh, and certainly one of the things that you can turn to when it comes to Georgia's own credit union is your chance to get a visa signature or platinum card that's one of those things that comes to you from our friends at uh, Georgia's own credit union and there's all kinds of opportunities available to you because of that. I'm talking about great perks that can be used on you know, travel, and you can get cash back if you want to. There's all kinds of terrific incentives. Plus, you can get up to $150 uh, simply for signing up for one of these Visa Signature or Platinum cards. It's one of those great rewards that kind of comes your way through all of that. So make sure you check out georgesown.org for more details. That's georgesown.org. And you can find out about all of the great opportunities available to you because of the Visa a signature and platinum card so check that out georgia's own credit union online at georgia's all right we're gonna have some fun here uh good stuff all the way around a chance to chat about everything happening in knoxville getting ready to go to knoxville i should say for the dogs on saturday the aftermath of what happened for georgia with another blowout win on saturday even if it was one that some UGA fans felt like they weren't 100% satisfied with the Georgia players and coaches themselves felt like they still left something on the table there in that game. And of course, everything else as Georgia rolls through a busy November into what could be one of the wildest Decembers and Januaries that we have seen around here in quite some time. So there's a lot going on around UGA. Let's get all of it as part of a Kroger Fresh Take with Connor Riley right now. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. And we'll say hello to, to Connor Riley here, part of a Kroger Fresh Take with him, diving into everything happening around UGA. And Connor, I had to confess this a moment ago to our audience that, you know, listen, sometimes it's just not quite as easy to be classy as it is at other times. And the demise that's seemingly happening around Florida, the true implosion that has happened since what went down with you know Georgia beating Florida a couple of weeks ago and everything in the aftermath of that I really enjoy that and to think that all of this could be then added to and compounded even more if former Florida commit Julian Humphrey were to commit to Georgia this week that's almost too juicy for me to even stand yeah I don't on the screen below it says did Kirby Smart break Florida I don't know if break is the right word I think he made Florida quit because that's what we saw on Saturday when Georgia played Florida, or excuse me, when Florida played at South Carolina, and it was just a really, it was a really bad performance by a Florida team that clearly didn't want to be there, didn't want to be in the cold, and just really did not play its best football. And now you wonder going forward, where is this team going to end up being? 
and how are they going to end up playing? Dan Mullen no longer has control of really his fate in the football team at this point because if they lose again, I think he's going to be fired. And so when you have that kind of a team and you have that kind of performance, it's now on the players if they want Dan Mullen to remain their head coach. Obviously, the recruiting isn't going to get better really in this season. You're going to have to maybe hope for that to be the case in, 2020, in the 2023 class and maybe even 2024. But with where things are right now for Dan Mullen, it's in a really bad spot, and you know, I, I think I think Georgia broke Clemson. I think Georgia broke Kentucky. Maybe there's a case we made they broke Arkansas. I, I don't know if they broke Florida because Florida was already pretty broken coming in when you factor in the Kentucky and LSU losses. I think Florida is just ready to quit after what happened to Georgia against them. You know, we'll talk later on about some of the stuff that uh, Anthony Richardson's recently put out on social media, but there's just a tolerance for weirdness at Florida that just doesn't seem to exist at a place like UGA. And this is the kind of thing that I think Georgia fans ought to be quite thankful for, that Kirby Smart just runs a tighter ship. And that doesn't always lead to happy times because when there's when there are rigid standards, not everybody's going to feel good about that at the time. And sometimes maybe you kind of roll your eyes down on the opposite side for whatever reason. But you're not going to see a lot of Georgia players goofing around on social media. You're not going to see a lot of Georgia players you're not going to hear tell you know much of Georgia players goofing around a hotel before a game in which they're trying to avoid a what would be a losing mark for at least right now a fifth loss for the season there's just a high tolerance for goofiness at Florida Mullen contributes that I think teams always take on the personality of their coach and I think that that when you look at Florida there's just a level of, and I'm going to use the same word again, level of goofiness that seems to permeate there That because Mullins either tolerated or, or, or influenced the program in that direction. Right. I mean, look back at last year, the Darth Vader press conference, the packing the swamp. Uh, you could go on and on, really, just even within looking at the confines of that 2020 season. I, I don't think it's a coincidence that this team started 2021 by just straight up not showing up in a bowl game against an Oklahoma team. And so they essentially quit at the end of last season. And what do you see them doing right now? Based off what we saw against South Carolina, it looks like we're going to see them quit again. And so once you sort of let that seep into your program, it's really hard to let that get out. And you can think back to Kirby Smart because they had their own sort of Sugar Bowl moment against Texas after the 2018 season. And Kirby Smart very much said, we're not doing this again. We are not going down the same path. Again, you think that next year against Baylor, hey, if you don't want to be here, you don't want to play in this game, Okay, totally fine. Just don't come on the trip. For the guys that want to be here and actually play in this game, you're coming on this trip. We're winning this game. You saw them do it against Baylor. You saw them do it against Cincinnati the last two years, even though those are not the type of bowl games that Georgia envisioned in playing in. So I think when you trace it back to Florida and and really where the problems started to go wrong, yeah, the the shoe toss to LSU last year wasn't great. And then they turn around and actually played Bama pretty well. But that moment right there was probably the beginning of the end, the Waterloo for Dan Mullen when his team just didn't even bother to get on the bus to go to the airport in Gainesville to get to Dallas to play Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl. I think it's probably right. Let me uh, shift gears and talk about this for a moment. I said yesterday that I actually believe that Georgia's maybe a little due for a test or just you know styles make fights and the particular opponent that Georgia's playing on Saturday in a hostile environment. Connor, I expect this to be a fourth quarter game, a fourth quarter game. I expect Georgia to be tested by Tennessee in a way that it almost hasn't been all season long really by anybody. Watched a lot of that Kentucky. It's amazing when Georgia plays at noon, you just have a chance to see a lot more football than you normally see. I watched a lot of Tennessee, Kentucky on Saturday, and what I saw from Kentucky, playing better offensively they had in weeks, did a lot of the things that you would assume that Georgia wants to do. They were pretty good in the red zone. They were really good on third down. They were pretty good on a per play basis. They had the football game for the entire night and yet if you pay attention like win expectancy and things like that it was always far more likely that Tennessee was going to win the Kentucky because Tennessee was averaging about 11 yards per play that the explosiveness of Tennessee just negated the efficiency of Kentucky and I think that's a reminder for Georgia on Saturday as good as the Georgia defense is Tennessee is going to swing for the fences here and they hit a few of those especially if they hit them early. We haven't seen Georgia playing with much of a deficit really at all, all season long. I just think this game sets up in a pretty interesting fashion for Georgia. I don't expect Georgia to lose, but do I expect Georgia to maybe make some plays late to preserve the win? I think there's a chance that might be the case. This might be the closest game that Georgia's played since Clemson on Saturday, I believe. So you mentioned Tennessee, if they're hitting those swings and those big swings, if I could make a – Baseball analogy here. Tennessee likes to swing for a home run, and that's what they do. You see them do it against Alabama. You see them do it against Florida. What happens if they strike out on those yeah. big shots early? 
what happens when they fall behind? Because that's what I think is going to happen in this game. Because, cool, you know, you, and you mentioned all that, you know, Kentucky did scoring the ball and moving the ball on them. Georgia's going to be able to do that as well. And I think Georgia, if they wanted to in this game, could get up to 70 points possibly against Tennessee. That defense is that porous. And so, yes, I understand why there might be some concern there. And Kirby Sword, I actually think, made an interesting analogy. Comparing Tennessee's speed and tempo to that of Georgia Tech's triple option of the past where there's nothing you can really do to prepare for it. Now, Kirby Sword ultimately found a way to do that by preparing and installing you know, triple option practice periods over the course of the season. And, you know, while it hasn't been in a while, Georgia and Kirby Smart have seen this Jace Hypo offense before when he was at Missouri. And then, granted, Hypo in that 2017 season did have some success there. So I, I, I see and I get the point you're coming from. And, sure, on the road at Neyland, it could be a stiffer test. But I just – what happens when they don't hit on those plays early? I wonder if this game, if Tennessee, and I would point out against Florida when Florida still looked like it had interest in playing a football season against Alabama. You know, Alabama and Florida were hanging around around halftime in those games. And in the second half, because Tennessee doesn't have the depth, game was over. And I point out, look at Tennessee's last four games. And yes, there's a bye game scheduled in between there. You'll Ole Miss at Alabama, bye week, Kentucky, and then Georgia. That's a brutal four-game stretch there. So I understand why there's some concern with this Tennessee team and this Tennessee game and the way that they play. But if they don't hit on those big shots early, they very clearly don't have the depth to make this a four-quarter game. I'm actually thinking of zagging and saying this is actually going to be another blowout. This Georgia team knows, hey, can't give up big plays early. And because Tennessee is so reliant on those big plays, I wonder if they're going to be able to stay in this early. I'll go so far as to say this, Connor. If you end up being right, and you might, if you end up being right, and if Georgia blows out Tennessee on the road on Saturday, then a national championship might just truly be inevitable. That this is one of those games where I see two things going on here. I've actually been fairly impressed with Hendon Hooker, and I started the year trying to make the case for Harrison Bailey being the Vols quarterback because I care about these things. I just like the SEC, so I'm, I'm interested in what all the SEC teams do, and I thought that Bailey was the quarterback that Tennessee should turn to. The fact is, when Hooker's been in the game, he's clearly been the best quarterback they have, so much so that Bailey's no longer in the program, and that Milton would only play if Hooker was hurt, and normally when you have these aggressively fast-tempo teams, normally um, there's maybe a byproduct of turnovers here, but I believe that Hooker's only thrown two picks all season long, so they found a way to play fast without getting the turnovers i think it's interesting that kirby made the tech comparison yesterday because we did say on yesterday's show that hey when georgia talked during the bye week about preparing for upcoming opponents that used to mean preparing for georgia tech and in this particular year that when kirby said that this season using that off week to prepare for upcoming opponents it was almost certainly tennessee they were preparing for because tennessee is just the weirdest team they play i've had smart people tell me that nobody plays faster than tennessee kirby smart himself has kind of acknowledged that and and here's what I believe on Saturday. One of the reasons why I think a convincing win would prove so much about Georgia is because I do think that Georgia needs to make some explosive plays of its own to make sure that the the, the, the margin stays comfortable to, to thwart any chance that Tennessee might have to get that crowd involved in the game. And if we assume that Stetson Bennett's going to be the guy to do that, well, if he creates those explosive plays in a game like this – then I think he shows you that he can be the guy that some Georgia fans wonder if if he can be. I think a convincing win for Georgia and a tough spot on Saturday, I just think that'd be pretty telling about what Georgia might have in store for December and January. But hasn't Stetson Bennett already done that when he went on the road against the better Auburn team and played, I thought, a pretty fantastic game there that day? I think that the style that Tennessee plays is a tougher challenge for Georgia than Auburn is, even though Auburn's probably certainly the the deeper team in comparison to Tennessee and maybe even the better team in comparison to Tennessee, I do think Tennessee's harder for Georgia to beat. So do you have questions about whether this offense is going to be able to hit explosive plays? Because last Saturday they were able to do so uh, against the Missouri defense that is just as bad as the one they're going to see on Saturday. So, again, I I, I would answer your question. I'll let you finish, but to answer your question, yeah, I I still do have some questions about that. That's not to say that I doubt them totally and fully, but am I skeptical? What if – I mean – 
what if Tennessee, you know, wins the coin toss, gets the ball first, marches right down the field and score? That's not a scenario we've seen Georgia in very much. They were down three nothing on Saturday. They were down for what eleven plays against Auburn. We haven't seen Georgia facing a deficit very much this year. But what if Tennessee gets the ball, marches down the field and scoring? Now you give the ball back over to Stetson Bennett. Uh, there's a little. I'm about to start the game potentially. There's a little bit of skepticism on my part of I want to see that before I fully believe that that Georgia can match the big plays offensively when they need to. Admittedly, I'm still waiting to learn that. Well, I'd be skeptical that we'd see that Tennessee march the ball downfield on this on this Georgia defense so far this year, just given we haven't seen a team do that. Georgia sure. has not given up a first-quarter touchdown all season, if I'm remembering correctly there. So, I, I, again, I understand why there's some concern and some worry with this game, but Tennessee is also a 5-4 and four football team at this moment. You know, it's not like they are – even in the Michigan realm or that fringe, you know, top 15 team, this, this Tennessee team does there have some clear issues. That Kentucky offense had really struggled in recent weeks, and then they go in there and, like, go up 42 points on the board. So I expect Georgia to be able to move the ball and score consistently enough in this game to where I'm really not that concerned about this game. Sure, it is on the road, but, I, again, this Georgia team has played well when they've gone up to Neyland and Knoxville before. You think back to 2019 – when that offense we know now was not very good, they still moved the ball with ease in that game against Tennessee there. So I understand where the concern comes from because Tennessee is kind of a hot team in the way that they're playing offense right now. But to everyone saying Georgia hasn't seen an offense as good as Tennessee, Tennessee has not seen a defense nearly as good as Georgia, and I think that's going to show up on a Saturday. Yeah, no question about that. Let me shift gears here quarterback for a moment what I said after Saturday's game was that the fact that Kirby even played JT gave him a chance to throw the football you know gave him a significant number of snaps to me that left the door open that Daniels could still eventually be the quarterback of this team in the games that matter most if obviously Daniels didn't play at all on Saturday that'd be pretty telling and yet my addendum to all this is is that this is the last game of significance for Georgia during the regular season. If Daniels doesn't play more this week than he did last week, if he doesn't play earlier, sooner in the game than he did a week ago, then barring injury, Georgia's kind of made its choice, has it not? I think they may have already made their choice. I, I know you know people saw what they want to saw in JT. He threw the touchdown, he came in, he actually got to throw in and operate the offense as sort of intended on Saturday, but Stetson took all the meaningful snaps in that game. It was 33-3 to by the time JT came in in the second half of that game there. And so I think the die may already be cast as far as what Georgia wants to do at its quarterback position this year. And, again, if Georgia's going to get Arian Smith back and Jermaine Burton and potentially Dominic Blaylock back, if they're going to get those guys back, it's going to help Stetson out quite a bit because for everyone, you know, in the point about the wide receivers, well, Stetson wasn't playing with those guys either. And as we saw on Saturday – those guys are able to make plays on the ball and actually, I think, help Stetson and take away some of the turnover-worthy plays that he had made against Florida, certainly. If they're able to turn those into either breakups or positive plays, as we saw with the Jermaine Burton near touchdown there, I think that's only going to help Stetson more in what he's able to do. So, uh, you know, I'll be interested to see what they do with JT in this game. Would I be surprised if we saw it follow a similar script where Georgia gets a big and then they insert JT in there and sort of let him run the offense as opposed to doing the 2018, I'm just going to hand that yeah. ball off really well offense? You know, maybe, and they're going to continue to get him reps, I think, against Charleston Southern and Georgia Tech to keep both those guys fresh because Kirby has said he believes he has two really good quarterbacks. But based off what saw on Saturday, I think we're going to continue to see uh, Stetson Bennett is the quarterback for Georgia. Let me give you the opinion I've given on this topic a couple of times that I used the word skeptical earlier. I'm still a little skeptical that if you choose Bennett, and as you said, Georgia may have done that or in the process of currently doing that. If you choose Bennett over Daniels, there's a part of me that's skeptical that maybe is the wrong choice, that still believe you got to have the most explosive offensive component that you can to win a national championship I still personally believe that's likely Daniels over over Bennett however what I acknowledged in the show yesterday was is is that Kirby Smart knows the stakes here it's his own personal reputation that's at risk if he were to get this wrong and he's also privy and this goes without saying but I'm going to say it out loud nonetheless 
He's also privy to so much more data and information behind the scenes that presumably there's a reason that he's making the choice that he's making because he knows what people will say if it turns out to be wrong. And given the fact that Georgia is so clearly the number one team in the country right now, and so much of that is built on the back of Smart's vision for this program when he first took over the job. Connor, I don't mean to be trite when I say this, but but I mean this literally Smart's earned the right to make this decision. If this is the way that he wants to attempt to further his own legacy, I think he's earned the right to make this choice. There's a part of me that may be thinking he's making the wrong choice, but I think that Smart has deservedly built up enough credibility. If he wants to make the unorthodox choice at quarterback, it's his choice to make, and I'm sort of willing to ride with him on this, even if I – I'm speaking as a fan here – even if I don't fully think he's making the right choice, I'm going to – I'm, I'm going to ride with him on this, even if even if it's a little bit weird. If Seth and Benno were a four-star quarterback, are we? Or is there a hand wringing over the quarterback position that currently exists? I think that's a fair question, and my answer to that is this: that the the, the most tangible knock on Stetson was that he wasn't really considered for the starting job before the season began this year, nor before the season began last year. So. You know, I get what you're saying that there's this perception of because he's a little smaller, because his recruiting profile is essentially non-existent. Therefore, people have falsely assumed he's not a good quarterback. But the Georgia coaches themselves on at least two occasions, and you could probably say three occasions when they were more than happy to let him leave the program after 2017. On three different occasions, Stetson's essentially been told that he's not starting quarterback material. So, so this is not just a fan perception thing on the basis of how good a recruit he once was. The Georgia coaches who evaluate him during practice have found him lacking now three times. Now, as it turns out, they may have just been wrong. And that Stetson Bennett really has proven himself to be a gamer over and over and over again. The results obviously speak for themselves. But this is not just a misperception on the basis of a lack of hype. So, but so Stetson is allowed to get better and improve sure. and, and show that he is a better player because I would point sure. out as well, a lot of people didn't want to see Ladd McConkey play or, and a lot of people straight, straight up thought they'd never see Ladd McConkey play. That's well, true. Among That's Georgia's true. receivers this season, Ladd McConkey is statistically the best receiver that Georgia has. So, again, you know, and, and I don't think even Ladd is facing some of the same criticisms or concerns that Stetson is. And, and granted, part of that comes with the difference between quarterback and right receiver. But, I mean, look, Stetson came out and played really well against Missouri on Saturday. Two touchdowns, very nearly had four touchdowns if Jermaine Burton doesn't get tackled at the one-yard line twice. So I, I understand the concern and people saying, oh, well, can he do this against Alabama? I'd like to see Alabama run for more than seven yards against the Georgia defense because they only had six against LSU on Saturday. So I understand that, you know, because Stetson and they view Stetson through this certain prism that dates back to his recruiting profile then a loss against Alabama last season that he's always sort of going to be viewed as this. But let's focus on JT Daniels here a little bit. I know Mike, Mike, Mike Griffith might not love to hear this, but JT Daniels has played in four games this season. He's thrown an interception in three of them, and it's not like he is some cure-all at this quarterback position. He has shown to make some pretty risky or poor throws there as well. He is not a perfect quarterback option. And again, the thing with JT he has to prove that he can stay healthy consistently. Yeah. And one thing I think Stetson does well is he does not seem to take that big hit. Even on Saturday, JT was taking hits during that game. And you've seen guys at the NFL level sort of not be able to avoid those big hits, and it affects the durability. Andrew Luck, Carson Wentz come to mind there. Where Stetson Bennett, his scrambling ability not only helps him extend plays, as we saw that one of those near touchdown passes to Jermaine Burton, but also keeps him from getting hit and thus keeps him upright and in-game. So I do think that's worth considering with this Georgia quarterback position going forward because let's say you choose to bench Stetson again and you go with JT, and JT gets hurt again, as has happened a couple of times now. You know, what might you get out of Stetson knowing that this coaching staff pretty clearly has shown that it does not believe in him? if it makes the switch to JT. Good stuff. Connor, let me remind folks, this is our Kroger Fresh Take, and obviously around our household and so many households just like us, we're already talking about Thanksgiving meals and how we can stretch those dollars this year and get the most out of our experience, obviously given the fact that the you know, world's a little bit of a strange place right now. That's why we love turning to Kroger, because they help, help you get the most out of your holiday meal. Whether it's Thanksgiving this month, rolling in December, and everything else that goes along with that, that's what Kroger can do for you. That's when we love recommending them 
for everything you need for the Thanksgiving feast, the food and all the stuff that goes along with that, the sides, the, 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 the beverages and everything else, you can get stocked up on everything you need for a great Thanksgiving right there at your local Kroger. So stop by and see them today. And it's not too soon to start shopping for that. I know my family, we're already talking about the things that we're looking forward to enjoying here for Thanksgiving. I love this time of year as the holidays kind of blend in with what's going on with football. That is always a really cool thing. Connor, I had plenty more we could talk about, but we're kind of uh, running a little short on time. So let me just say thanks for being with us. And we'll look forward to reading a bunch more from you at dognation.com. On there as well. Yep, as always, it was a pleasure. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So let me repeat something that I've kind of said before, that and, and Connor kind of brings this to mind, and then after this, we'll leave quarterback alone for the rest of the show. So when you're having quarterback conversation between the Bennett, the Daniels thing, one of the things that will occasionally get thrown into the conversation, and I think I mentioned this to John Stinchcomb yesterday, it almost sounds like sort of a flippant add-on, but people say, well, with the way the Georgia's playing defense, it doesn't matter who's playing quarterback. I'm not quite so sure I believe that's true. I, I still think who is at quarterback does matter for UGA. I don't think the gap between Georgia and the rest of the country is so wide that Georgia can just make whatever decision it wants. I still think there are going to be buttons that are going to be pushed one way or another that will determine if UGA wins a championship or not this season. But if we were to stipulate for a moment those that do say that are correct, and it really doesn't matter that Georgia's built such an overwhelming edge in comparison to the rest of the country that that it's already proven it's the best team in the country. If that be the case, then I am clearly not making any changes because <laughs> you don't give back anything that's already proven itself to be the very best in the country. So a lot of the quarterback discussion for Georgia kind of centers around this in a roundabout way is do you believe that Georgia's already proven itself to be the best team in the country? If you do believe that, then you're also probably not in favor of any changes. If you have some doubts, though, that Georgia really has distanced itself from the rest of the group, from the rest of the pack of would-be title contenders, then you are obviously looking then to say, well, how can you maximize that opportunity? And that's where Daniels kind of veers into this. But regardless of whether it's JT, regardless of whether it's Stetson Bennett, the real vibe that has made this team go this season is the vibe of talented in many cases, five-star level players who've chosen to sacrifice some of that individual glory to fit into a team concept. And the guy that's orchestrated all of that has been Kirby Smart. For as good as the UGA assistants are and as talented as these players are, this is Kirby Smart's vision. This is his, this is, this is his idea of what Georgia football was supposed to be, and it's coming to life right now. And Smart knows what's at stake. So I think I, you are not under an obligation. You know, sometimes on message board, you see the trust the coaches meme. You are not under obligation to trust the coaches in every situation and every, you know, every, every moment. Coaches can make mistakes. They can make errors. But in this particular case, Smart, I believe, has earned the credibility to make the choice he wants to make, even if it is the unorthodox choice. Let me also mention this. How about Royal Caribbean cruiser on the SEC, courtesy of our friends at Royal Caribbean here. And it's a great time for you yourself to be on a Royal Caribbean cruise. Great time to go out there and see what's happening in all the great uh, destinations that Royal Caribbean ships sail to, including all throughout the Caribbean, the Bahamas, uh, leaving out of Port Canaveral, as a, for instance, taking advantage of that private island oasis in the Bahamas known as Perfect Day Coco Cay. Great time to experience that, whether it's the thrill side, where you got the tallest water slide in North America. You've got the helium balloon that takes you 450 feet in the air. Uh, obviously, on the chill side, you've got you know, the largest freshwater pool in the Bahamas. You get those private cabanas that really almost make you feel like you're in Bora Bora, somewhere like that. You're just kind of chilling out, relaxing. Uh, that's what they do for you on the chill side there. It's only available to those who are on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship. The only the only ships that sail there are those Royal Caribbean ships. So check out Perfect Day Coco Cay. And obviously, our invitation to you is when you book a Royal Caribbean vacation is to use folks who understand all of the things are going to be perfect for you and really tailor a vacation that suits you, a cruise destination, a cruise vacation that's really fitting your needs and those that you're taking with you on your cruise. So that's why we love recommending our friends, the Cruise and Vacation Authority. And I want to tell you how you can get in touch with the Cruise and Vacation Authority. Uh, you can reach out to them on the website, tcava.com. That's tcava.com. Once again, I say that, let me say that again because I kind of went a little fast there. tcava.com. Or you can give them a call, 770-952-8300. That's 770 770- 7095283300. All right, cruiser on the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Let's start with this and I think we have this to show. So, Anthony Richardson, the Florida quarterback, did not play against South Carolina 
on Saturday night, and rumors quickly started bubbling up that he'd injured himself while dancing at the team hotel the night before the game. Then Richardson was, I guess, you'll say good enough to share with us on social media yesterday the dance that he was doing that led to the injury. Now, first of all, I don't see how anybody wouldn't break their knee trying to do this dance. If you're watching this on video, this is this is quite a lot of torque there on the knee. But there's something about this tweet from Richardson that I just find to be very casual. And you should know this. Like, I make fun of Mullen on Twitter all the time. You'll be hard-pressed to ever find me make fun of a player. I just don't do that. Uh, even Florida players, I'm just not going to make fun of them very much. So I, I, I stayed out of the whole, let me mock this guy on social media for this. But honestly, if you're a Florida fan, how demoralizing is this? Know that in a game that your team lost and now give you five on the season, a quarterback who could have helped you didn't play and is basically joking, at least this comes across to me as a joke, uh, for why he didn't play and the fact that he's you know goofing around the team hotel before the game. Now, listen, I realize players aren't robots, and even the night before the game, there needs to be a little bit of a downtown uh, downtime vibe. You need to have a little bit of relaxed atmosphere going into a game. I, I get all that. I'm not, I'm not trying to be 100 years old here, but boy, something about this just feels really casual. I mean, something about this just feels like, do you care or not? And that's what Florida seems to be dealing with. And when Dan Mullen does all the weird stuff that he does, eventually everybody in the program is going to act weird. And Florida's always had this very, uh, I guess you call it like laissez-faire attitude about social media. They let their players just tweet whatever. And oftentimes that does not paint the program in a great light. And boy, I don't know. Uh, I, I just don't know about all that. Uh, I, this is one of those days where obviously we revel in all the misery for Florida. But it's also one of those days where you just say, a little thank you for the fact that Georgia just runs itself in a completely different way than the just the goofiness that's tolerated at Florida. What an awful time to be a Gators fan. By the way, this was funny. So we're in the age now where, for the most part, college programs do not hold back on really trolling their opponents on social media. I'm struggling to think of examples where Georgia's done a ton of this through the official accounts. Maybe they have, but it seems like Georgia, for the most part, doesn't really do this kind of stuff. But man, there are other programs like Ole Miss is unmerciful. Ole Miss did some stuff at Kiffin. They eventually had to, uh, not Kiffin, but uh, they did some stuff towards Hugh Freeze. They eventually had to delete the other day. And then South Carolina, who has a very clever video department, probably one of the better video departments in the SEC. So Josh Van catches an easy touchdown on Saturday, and they were joking about how much time that Van had. I think we may have this that we can show folks uh so uh the van touchdown and the uh funny caption says so much room for activities like there's not a player than 100 miles of josh van and then the video goes on to say things that josh van could have done before anybody on defense could have gotten to him and it shows him ordering a meal and he's just doing all this kind of stuff and i mean you have to really put your back into this to make this video and obviously South Carolina wanted to. They wanted to mock and, and and make fun of he's playing golf there. That's really funny. But we're just kind of in the age now where that's what these programs are going to do. They're going to make fun of each other on social media. And I think for fans, it's actually pretty enjoyable. You know, there's a time for coach speak, and usually the time for coach speak is when coaches are speaking. But when, you know, folks outside the boundaries of the head coach are – doing things for the program there's no reason why we can't have fun obviously fans love talking trash back and forth with each other and so uh getting the official twitter accounts involved on something like that i don't think that's such a bad thing i don't really mind that at all so uh especially when it's south carolina making fun of florida you love that and so that was great to see tonight's a big night for college football the college football playoff top 25 will be re-released no mystery at the top we know that's going to be georgia but what happens after that I told you last week I had no problem with Alabama being number two. I felt like that they were clearly the second best team in the country. But the problem is they sort of played like number two last week against LSU. So you're left to wonder, will they still be there in this spot come Saturday, especially tonight, especially given the fact that there's this cheerleading campaign for Cincinnati on the part of some in the media and they want to see Cincinnati and Alabama graded the exact same way, given the fact that Alabama struggled the 10th on the national championship two years ago and uh Cincinnati struggled with Tulsa uh on uh this past Saturday so I've told you before that I don't think Cincinnati is really deserving of being in the national championship playoff conversation struggling with the Golden Hurricanes on Saturday I think validates that even more I don't expect Cincinnati to be much higher than uh six where they were last week in fact that may be the ceiling they have no chance of of uh, you know of moving past that so it is true though that Alabama did not play well against LSU so there's room for them to drop a little bit I guess you could say that Oregon has a chance to move up probably will 
clearly they'll move up to at least third because Michigan State lost. Then you start wondering about, well, what about Ohio State? Ohio State didn't play particularly well either uh, against Nebraska on Saturday. And is there a chance that Michigan kind of moves up here? What about Oklahoma? Oklahoma didn't even play. It would be very funny to me if Oklahoma was a big mover tonight on the base of having played an off week, a bye week uh, last week. That'd be kind of a strange thing, but there's also a chance that happens. Right now, we're in kind of that weird mode of the season where the only team that's playing well week in, week out is really Georgia. That from week to week, you really have no idea what you're going to get from Alabama. Um, you know, Ohio State's kind of the same way, to be honest with you. Uh, one week they're dominant. Last couple of weeks, they've been something less than that. For the most part, everybody kind of thinks Michigan State's a pretender as it is. Oklahoma doesn't play enough defense to be taken seriously. I'm still of the belief that the two biggest threats to Georgia are probably Ohio State and Alabama, but it's fair to say those team those two teams not really look like that as of late. This is this is a very strange time right now where I mean you're just struggling to make a case. <laughs> it's like not only do we not need a 14 playoff, we might not even need a BCS title game on the basis of what's happening right now. This could be like the 80s where you just sort of vote Georgia national champion. Now, listen, I expected to tighten up and I expect Georgia to be challenged before it's all said and done. But it's very strange right now when you just don't really see anyone who's anywhere near the universe of UGA based on the way that teams are currently playing. As I said before, you know, my expectation is that you do see some real contenders emerge. I still think it's most likely Alabama, most likely Ohio State. But wow, how strange is that? That after last Saturday, you just didn't really see any of the national contenders play very well other than Georgia. Georgia won 43-6, and you still had a lot of nitpicking from within the program about what could have been better perspective to be kept here that almost every team in the country in fact every single team in the country would eagerly trade places with where UGA is right now number one with a bullet next to its name and seemingly with room to improve as guys continue to get healthy so we'll see the college football playoff top 25 re-released tonight one more thing I want to tell you about obviously we're going to get into that time of year where folks start thinking about next phase of life especially for young people or the parents of young people this is why i want you to think about my friends at the technical college system of georgia because you can be that person that moves on to a great career with no student loans and how much more empowered would you be to start your professional life if you're doing so without the burden the debt that comes from those student loans you can also be in a career that you love that's obviously a great thing there as well and you don't have to wait long to get it started you can be in this career you can be making some real money and building a life for yourself in two years or less lucrative fields all across the place that's what the technical college system of georgia can provide for you there it's a surprisingly affordable um uh, uh, education opportunity that creates great professional outlook for you, great job market, great opportunities to really be in rewarding, lucrative career, uh, career uh, without the student debt and really build a great life for yourself. So you go to the website succeedsooner.com. It's succeedsooner.com. There's more than 22 colleges across the state, 600 different programs, all kinds of choices for you to make a great put yourself on a great professional path uh, that's affordable that doesn't come with a bunch of debt that's just a great experience so check out the website succeedsooner.com for a lot more on that all right as we wrap up here today uh, a couple golden shoes to give out one of these is uh, jordan davis hashtag jd to nyc related there was a picture that we had for you yesterday that some folks have been sharing around on social media and one of our guys uh russell jafaris sent this to us with the hashtag jd to nyc this picture to me is so funny it's davis tackling a uh, missouri running back but it almost looks like he's saving a child from like a burning car or something like that like he looks like he's a fireman like rushing in to pull somebody out of a burning building i mean that's just how big and imposing jordan davis is i think sometimes a picture really can tell a story that stats and testimony never could just look at how imposing jordan davis is right there great job by russell jafaris who gives the hashtag jd to nyc and we'll give russell the golden shoe just for that also as we think about tennessee coming up on saturday our buddy bark a lot who's quite a prolific winner of golden shoes gives us the tennessee fan with the orange and white overalls the uh mustard going back to the Ole miss game a couple of weeks ago i would dare say the tennessee may be the most photogenic fan base because they're always doing goofy stuff in the stands and bark a lot certainly identifies that we'll give him a golden shoe for that and of course lousy stinking gators not too soon to start thinking about next season 354 days from now dogs go back to jacksonville beat florida again and don't you know we'll be reveling in that again uh once again there as well we appreciate you being here on dog nation daily presented by engineered solutions of georgia and we'll look forward to seeing you back here again tomorrow 
And on the podcast, I'm not the RS Andrews podcast, Cool Down. I'm going to take a couple of quick comments here, both at dognation.com from the comment section and, of course, on Twitter at dognation daily. I'm going to start with this from Depp Dog, who takes a very harsh opinion of Kirby Smart and his handling of quarterbacks, and I'm going to read the entire post. Depp Dog writes, Kirby Smart's a talented defensive coach, but his grasp of the quarterback position is sophomoric. The question really is simple. Who is the best player at position X? When you get to quarterback and UGA, who is the number one quarterback on your team? Not a difficult question. Oh, but at UGA, your number one gets hurt. They forfeit their job. Wow, he says. In what sport anywhere in the world has that been the case? People can say Kirby Smart's a protege of Saban. The truth is Kirby uh, could use more of Saban in him. This then would not be an issue. Kirby's doing nothing more than hurting his team in service of a wannabe Rudy story. There's too much at stake. Uh, put the best player in the field every position. You know who would agree with that? He says the mailman would. So a few things here on this. First of all, don't be so quick to assume that Nick Saban would obviously make the choice that you want him to make. I remember being back in 2017. Now, ultimately, we know how that season ends. But trust me when I tell you, I had plenty of people who had been at Alabama practices, in Alabama scrimmages, who had seen the inner workings of that program. It was not a secret that Tua Tungle-Vailoa was better than Jalen Hurts. It was not a secret. Uh, it was obvious to everyone. That's the only reason that Saban felt comfortable making the change at halftime of that year's national championship game, because deep down he already knew that Tua was better. Now, at the NFL level, I guess we're still trying to figure that out, but in the college level, it was very clear that Tua was the better of the quarterbacks, yet Saban spent an entire season playing the inferior guy and almost ran the risk of costing his team a national championship because of that. Um so, you know, this idea that Saban would definitely play the best quarterback on his roster, we have fairly tangible proof of that not being the case. And I can say that firsthand, knowing people who had been at Alabama scrimmages there that year. But as far as the comparison between JT Daniels and Stetson Bennett, I've told you many times that I am of the belief that JT's probably the better quarterback. That's my suspicion. I suspect that Daniels is better. But I have to use words like probably and suspicion. I have to say it's my hunch that he's better because here's the issue that you run into if you're harshly, staunchly in the pro-JT crowd. If I really ask you for tangible proof of why Daniels is better, it's not as easy to come up with as you might think. It's, you know, the actual numbers for JT when he's played this year, along with Stetson Bennett when he's played, JT's numbers are not better than Stetson's. So if you're making your choice on the basis of actual facts, the facts don't argue for Daniels as much as you might think. Now, the thing I've always come back to is the fact that, well, at one point in time, Georgia tabbed Daniels as the starting quarterback. There had to have been a reason. At the time, there clearly was. Things have changed since then, and you referenced the injury, but that's not an insignificant thing. First of all, football seasons are not static. There is growth and evolution over the course of a season. And this is unfair, but it's a lot of things in life uh, can still be true, even if they're unfair, that when you step away from a team because of injury, the team continues to grow and move while you're away. This notion that it's impossible for someone to lose a starting job because of injury, it's not true. It happens in football all the time at every level of the sport, college f- football included. But also in the case of what JT is now compared to what he was before he dealt with these lingering muscle issues, there's also a chance that that he is still a lesser player than he once was. I don't know that to be the case, but I do know that he spent most of the season not practicing. Um, That can't be good. Otherwise, why practice? Practice makes you better. Practice makes you more effective. And Daniels has missed a lot of practice for Georgia here this year. Now, ultimately, I'm just playing the devil's advocate role in all of this because I sort of suspect that Daniels probably is the better guy. But you can't just make that assumption without also backing it up with facts and there are actually fewer facts in evidence on that than you might imagine let me get one more here um this a little little bit more on the fun side of things a couple more here Uh, ed og writes in on the subject this is on twitter of alabama trying to get a will anderson heisman campaign up and running i think that anderson's a sensational player and he's a load to deal with georgia has to be aware of him on every single snap if these two teams meet in the sec championship game but it's another example of is there just nothing that Alabama won't try to copy from Georgia, including trying to get a Anderson-Heisman campaign together uh, after the Georgia-Jordan-Davis hashtag JD to NYC that we've led around here has proven to be so successful? Is there nothing that Alabama won't try to copy from UGA? I mean, can you believe that? 
Also, our buddy Bass and Dog writes in, echoing what I said on the show today about how if Jalen Carter got his touchdown against Tennessee a year ago, seems appropriate for Jordan Davis to get his this weekend and obviously bolstering that Davis-Heisman campaign. That is a fun thing to consider. We're going to go for now. Thanks for being here for our R.S. Andrews podcast cool down. Check R.S. Andrews out online at rsandrews.com. Heating system, get that thing tuned back up to factory fresh specs before the winter truly gets here. You'll be glad you did. rsandrews.com for more on that. Also, back here tomorrow, more Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We'll look forward to talking to you then, everybody.